Welcome to the Strongstown United Methodist Church. Join us for worship each Sunday morning at 11. Here's this week's message. For the wound of my people, oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. And from Luke 16, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God for the people of God. Yes, God. Thank you. When I was reading the commentary, studying for this uh, scriptures today, it said that both uh, scriptures are a lament. And if you know, a lament is something that we sometimes do things and, and we kind of decide to change our mind, right? We know that we've done wrong. We're looking for to make it right. So today, what I'm going to be talking about, and the reason I gave you the cards, is I want you to think about, and then later I want you to write on the cards, something that you've done in your life that you've regretted, and yet you would like to change. Something that you might want to change within the church, within your family, within your community. It can be anything you want to write. And as I tell people, I would probably need a whole notebook to write all the regrets that I've had, all the things that I've done that I needed to change. But if we think about it, most people will tell us, if you've done something to someone, have you taken the time to go back and say, I'm sorry? I know that someone mentioned that to me one time and I tried and it's not always easy to do that. First off, you don't always 
find the people that you know that you've done wrong to in years past. And sometimes you've done wrong to someone that you really didn't even know you did it, right? We have times that we say things and people take it wrong. Or we do something and it's received in a wrong way. So what I'm trying to do today, after I speak these two sermons, well, two messages in a way, it's not that long, honestly. I want you to think about how these people had some regrets in their life and how do we regret things that we've done in our life? How can we change it? So that's what the cards are for. It was suggested that you pass out a, either a full or a half page of paper and I decided the uh, three by five cards would be the easiest. And, and it's interesting, I'll collect them. I do not want anyone to put your name on it. I do not know your handwriting, so I'm not going to be uh, looking at what anyone in particular wrote. I'm trying to get kind of a general consensus of what can we do to improve? Improve not only our church, our own lives, our community, whatever you think of. So I want you to think about that, and then later we'll take a few moments to write something down. So when we look at the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because Jeremiah cried for his people. And, he, and at this time, when I read this, it reminds me of the time when the Israelites, part of them had already been taken into captivity in Babylon. So part of the people has already been taken away. Can you imagine in your lives if some other country came in, took us over, and they took part of our people and took them to their country, to a foreign country where you probably wouldn't understand their language, you probably wouldn't understand anything about them, their food, how they live, or anything. And there you would be treated as a slave. And this is what's happening to the Israelites. And the Israelites, part of them have already been sent into exile. And I think they already believe that a lot more of them will be going to exile because they know they have done wrong. They've listened to prophets that was telling them that everything's okay. But Jeremiah is telling them the truth that things are not okay, that they are following the wrong gods, that they're worshiping Baal and they're worshiping other gods. And when we think about it, even though this story is thousands of years ago, we have a tendency in our own lives to worship other gods. And when I say that, most of you can start thinking about, what do we worship? Well, we have this tendency to worship money, don't we? It's more important than whether we're in God's house and worshiping Him. We put money above a lot of other things. We put a, a lot of different things in our lives ahead of God. And that's why we can look around the church and we can see that there are people that aren't here that should be here and they are probably so busy today because they were either working and I know sometimes we have to I understand that or they're just like I got to sleep in this morning's the only day I get off but God is just asking for that one hour he's asking for you to know that he is God and he is number one in our lives and we have a tendency not to do that. But I, when I look at what Jeremiah writes, he says, Comforter, oh my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint. Listen to the cry of my people. He knows the people are hurting. 
But Jeremiah, being the prophet that he was, he was the type of person that would have been praying for his people. He would have been crying for his people. That's why he was called the weeping prophet. And if you realize this, most people probably don't. As pastors, God puts a burden on our heart that we have to pray. Well, I shouldn't say it as have to. We pray and we weep for the people that's under our charge. And I know as I was talking to John last night, I know that almost every pastor will spend time, spend time in prayers for the people, will spend time weeping for the people. It's a burden that God's put on our hearts that we care about everyone within the charge, within the community. We care about the people around us. And I pray that as a church, you care about your church and you care about the people around you. So Jeremiah is saying about this hurt in his heart and he's crying for his people. He says, is the Lord not in Zion? He believes that maybe God has left them, but he knows that God never leaves them. He knows that God has just allowed this destruction that's going on because they did not follow God. And the next part, I believe, even though it's Jeremiah's writing, I believe this is what God would say. Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? God was telling them that he was provoked because they was worshiping other idols, because they weren't worshiping him. He goes on to say the harvest is past, summer is in, ended, and we are not saved. I'm assuming this was a time of the year when they'd already harvested their crops and they found out when they did their harvest that it was kind of skim pickings and they knew that the winter months was going to be hard for them because they wouldn't have enough of their vegetables, their grains and the stuff that they harvested. They wouldn't have enough to really get through the winter that it was gonna be slim and it was all gonna have a problem. He says, he goes on to say, my people are crushed and I am crushed. That's the burden that God put on Jeremiah's heart. The burden that God put on each one that cares for the people around them. And I think each one of us could feel some of that burden if we think about it. And we could feel like our hearts are crushed. He goes on to say, is there no balm in Gilead? Gilead was a country that was east of the Jordan River. I have to think so I get it the right way. East of the Jordan River. And it was in the area where there was a lot of herbs and spices and things that were healing. And he's saying that that healing is not there. The healing has been taken away. So they are all going to be suffering because there is no physician. They had turned their backs on God. And we know that God is the almighty physician. God is the only one that can actually heal. And then Jeremiah closes this part with saying, if, if my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night. And that's where Jeremiah was given the, the, the title of the weeping prophet because he weeped for his people. He cared for them as most pastors will care for their flock. As most people that's put in a position that's overseeing someone should care for all their people. And we know that as the Israelites know that they have done wrong, but it's too late. They're already been taken into exile. 
and more will be. So that's the lament in their life. That's the regret that they didn't follow God. Instead, they followed their own hearts, they worshiped the idols, and now they're paying for the cost of it. So that's just one story to think about. Moving forward a little in time, Jesus tells the story of a manager, a manager who was mismanaging his boss, we'll say his boss, his property. And then his boss finds out about it. Now this could happen to almost anybody if we think about it. His boss finds out that he's, he's not doing right as the manager, and so the boss is about to fire him. Now if you think about it, I bet most of us at one time or other in our lives have thought about what will happen if we lose our jobs. How many times have we been on a job and we, we maybe have messed up, done something wrong, and we're worried that maybe tomorrow we won't have a job, and maybe tomorrow we'll end the paycheck. And if it ends the paycheck, it may end the food on the table and the roof over our heads. So this manager becomes a shrewd operator. And it says that Jesus tells the story that he says to himself in his head, what am I going to do if I lose my job? He said he's not strong enough to dig and he's ashamed to beg. So he goes to the people that owe money to his boss. Or in this case, it's they owe a product. And he says to the people, what do you owe my boss? What do you owe my master? How much? And the one says, 800 gallons of olive oil. So this manager tells him to cut the bill and make it look like he only owes 400 gallons. And the second one he goes to and he says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, a thousand bushels a week. But he tells him also, take your bill and change it and make it 800 bushels. So what was he doing? Was he being dishonest? Was he giving up something like his, um, was he just lowering the price that was owed? Was he removing the interest? I was reading different Bibles and one of them said they weren't really allowed to charge interest at that time, but maybe he put on an interest and, and so he was just taking that away. Or maybe he had marked it up a little bit as some people would do. We know in their day, tax collectors would mark things up so that they made money for themselves. So maybe, maybe this manager was just marking things up and now he's thinking, rather than lose my job, I'll, I'll give my commission away. I'll give it back and I'll make things right. But either way, we can imagine that he regretted what had happened. He regretted what had went on in his life and he had to make some changes. When we are stewards of what God has given us. It's up to us to use everything that we have wisely. God has given us everything. Money belongs to God, not to us. Money can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And money can have power. And that power can destroy us. It's how we use it. So what God is saying here, if we look at these stories and we look at how this manager had handled what he had done, things needed to change. He was losing his job. His integrity was at question. Sometimes even in our days, we have things like that happen. 
If you, if you read on down, it says if you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. But if you're not trusted with a little, how can you be worthy of a lot? So it's a matter of what Jesus is trying to tell everyone that we need to learn to be trustworthy. We need to learn that no matter if it's a small amount or if it's a large amount, we need to handle it the way God would expect us to handle it. We need to handle our own lives, our own affairs. I don't know about all of you. I have problems handling money, I'll be honest. It's not an easy thing for me. You know, someone recently said we need to have classes in school with like the high school kids that they can learn like how to do a checkbook, that they can learn how to manage money, make a budget. And I think that'd be a great idea. What's that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at managing, I'll be honest. But some, some people are and some aren't. That doesn't mean that just because we can't handle it doesn't mean that we don't put God first. And I think God wants to know that He is first in our lives. I believe it's okay for some people if we have to work on Sunday. It's okay for some people if we want to take a day off and maybe go to a ball game or do whatever. But I don't believe it's okay if every Sunday and every Sunday we decide it's more important to go to the ball game or it's more important to go somewhere that we don't need to be. But it's important that we spend time with God and we make God first. So these people had to make a decision. What was going to be first? He said, you cannot love God and money. Do we put money before God? Do we put other things in our lives before God? I think sometimes we do have a tendency to do that. I know myself, sometimes I'm busy trying to get that dollar, trying to pay that bill. We all have that happen. But God's trying to say that he needs to be first. As I was reading this and studying for this, the one thing that was mentioned, you know we usually do a prayer of confession before communion. Do we ever think about the words that we read on that prayer of confession? I don't know if these are the exact words that's on the blue sheets, but it should be. Think about these words for a minute. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love, and we have not loved our neighbor. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Think about those words. And think about what's going on in your life. I know we have a lot of things that we regret. Like I said, I could probably fill a notebook. But I believe there's something in our lives that we could change. Something small. Doesn't always have to be large. Something to let God know that He is first. Could be something within the church could be something in your family, in your life. But that's why I gave you the papers. And I don't want any names on them. I'm not going to figure out who wrote what. I've done this twice now, and I think it's a great thing. It's been a blessing. When I get some ideas, I found out that at one place in particular that a lot of people said, I regret that I don't do more for my church. 
And I thought that was great because they did lack a lot of people doing stuff at their church. And I think it's going to change. So sometimes we have to think, where are we? What can we change? What would you like to see change? So I'm going to give you a second to write that. And while you do that, I want to read a different prayer that the person that wrote this. I just want you to think about these words. O God, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen, you place us in your creation, and you command us to care for it. Your works declare glory and splendor, and you call us to praise and reverence. Where you where we have degraded or destroyed earth's bounty, forgive us. Where we have taken beauty and majesty for granted, have mercy on us. Where we have become estranged from the creatures with whom we share this planet, grant us your peace. Renew us in the waters of baptism, refresh us with the winds of your spirit, and sustain us with the bread of life. In the name of Jesus Christ, and for the sake of the new creation, we pray. Amen. Take a second and think about what could you change? What would you change? And you can just leave them up here or something after church. I don't care. Like I said, I'm not trying to get anyone in particular thoughts or get into some idea that this is a, a community. And that's what it's about. That prayer that we read for communion is a community prayer. It's for everyone to gather. And that's what I want you to think about. Together, how can we change? How can we make things better? Take a second. Think of that. Everybody have a piece of paper and a pencil?